Welcome back to Against All Odds. I'm here with Jade Malone. She has a very interesting, helpful story, I believe, for other people going through the same types of things as we all have a story to tell. So Jade is an adult content creator and educator who helps other women get started earning money with adult content. Jade, can you describe how you got to this point of your life? Well, I I guess the the easiest place for me to start is that I was raised very religiously. You know, no no shade to the religious upbringing or anything. My parents obviously did their very best and and their belief system was, um, well, they they believed that they were doing the best for me by raising me in that environment. Um, The problem then comes for me anyway, is that I was raised in a way that taught me that I should be very submissive to men and that I basically had no real self-esteem of my own. And I often relate this to the fact that I was raised in an environment that told me I was not supposed to be sexual. Right. It was wrong to be any degree of sexual, like sexual at all, unless it was for that one special man who would, for lack of a better word, own me. Right. However, I'm also a natural redhead, <laughs> and I, I fully believe, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but I fully believe that redheads are sexualized in a different way than a lot of other women. Absolutely. Um, there's a stereotype that comes along with, with being a redhead that says we are hot-tempered and we are hypersexual and all that. So I got very conflicting messages at a very early age about what I was supposed to be. Am I supposed to be this completely non-sexual, almost angel that is just designed for a man? Right. Or am I supposed to be this depiction of, of Lilith? I'm not sure if you are, you know, interested in, in the mythology of, of Lilith, but she was supposedly Adam's first wife. Okay. And she was the wife who wanted to be on top and it was unacceptable for her to be on top. And, and, you know, um, that's often, that's often portrayed in a sexual way. Like she was on top in bed basically. And because she had, you know, broken these rules, she was cast out of, of the garden of Eden. And then he got his new wife, Eve, who was supposed to be the improvement. She was the more submissive one, but Lilith is always depicted as a redhead. So, um, so anyway, basically, like, you know, I got this very conflicting message growing up. So um, around the age of 17, I got into a relationship that was very, very, very unhealthy. But it wasn't recognized as unhealthy by my parents or by the people around me. And it took me a number of years to recognize that what was happening in that relationship was very much not okay. And I use the word abuse. Of course, they're not going to... like that that or agree but it was very much abusive and and even my relationship with this person to this day continues to be something that I would call abusive so but basically I you know there were there were instances where I was locking myself in the bathroom to get away from him I was being talked down to a lot there were definitely some physical instances of abuse that you know, not, not that I was being hit or anything, um, but there are other ways to physically abuse somebody that include invading their personal space. For example, I would tell this man, don't touch me. For sure. And yeah. he would put his hands on me just to, ex- just to exert that dominance. Right. And show, show me that he didn't have to pay attention to my boundaries. He didn't have to respect that. 
And then it got to a point that I got pregnant by this man. I had a child um, and the child was about three months old. Um, and he came home, he was drunk. He had a drinking problem. And he his friends used to think that it was funny to get him drunk and send him right. home. Nice. <laughs> um, of course, you know, we were, we were young and foolish. Like I said, I was at this point, I would have been about 19 or 20 years old. Um, and he would have been 24. Um, so, you know, we were young and foolish and they thought it was funny to feed him alcohol and send him home. And he would come home and when he would drink, he was, he was angry. He was not a kind drunk at all. Okay. Um, and then there was one night that I had been home with the baby and he had been out. And when he got home, he decided he was angry over something and he, he grabbed the baby out of my arms. He ripped my baby out of my arms. And when he did, he was drunk enough that he started to stumble. And he fell backwards. And the, the only thing that stopped him from falling with my baby in his arms was the fact that the water cooler in the kitchen was behind him. And he, so he stumbled into that. Mm-hmm. And it was like a switch went off in my brain. It was very much like, I can't stay here because this is going to get worse. And I knew at that point, like, my child is very, very young. I need to... I need to take advantage of the fact that my my child is young. Right. So I left that relationship and I went out on my own. And I, I mean, at that point, I am 21 years old with a with an infant, right. baby, baby. And so I didn't waste any time hopping into a new relationship, which the new relationship was very much better than that first one. It was healthier, but it was still not healthy. Right. Um, I was, I was in this cycle of abuse. I was trained from a very early age that I was supposed to submit to the man. Right. Um, and so this, this next relationship I actually was in for 10 years, um, almost 11 years. And it was, it was most certainly abusive too, but in a very different way. Okay. Um, a lot of what the, abuse. So a lot of how that played out was a lot of lying, cheating, manipulating, um, a lot of gaslighting, a lot, a lot of gaslighting. Right. So that relationship definitely did more damage. The way that I, I put this out there, I guess, is that my first abusive relationship, he was an overt narcissist. Okay. He he didn't hide the fact that he wasn't a nice person and everybody could see it. Okay. The second relationship, he was covert. What happened in that relationship very, very much happened behind closed doors. It very much was not obvious to the people around me what was going on. Um, and it very much was much harder on my head. It was harder for me to dissect what was actually happening because here I am trained to submit to a man who I can't trust right. to take care of me in the right way, right? Absolutely. So over time, it got to a point where in that relationship, I was, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. And at one point, I just realized love is not supposed to feel like this. No. It is not supposed to feel like a roller coaster. And I said to him, I need to get off the roller coaster. This is not healthy for me. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the kids. And so... So it was basically when I decided to leave that relationship that that's when it turned really, really bad. Um, that's when all of that covert narcissism became very overt. And so when it came time for me to leave that relationship, one of the, one of the factors that really, really hurt me was that, you know, I didn't have anywhere to go. Right. He did. He had multiple places that he could go and we could have, you know, had a much, um, healthier split probably. 
Um, but he refused to go anywhere because he knew, you know, he, he did, he did whatever he could to keep me there. Right. Um, so he would disempower me however he could. He didn't want you to leave. No. And, and, you know, to everybody else, he will, he will, and from what I've heard, you know, he'll brag about the fact that he never loved me. He'll brag <laughs> about that. Um, but no, he didn't want me to leave because I, if you know anything about narcissistic abuse, the narcissist needs a supply. Right. They don't have any of their own self-esteem. They don't have any of their own, a lot of things. And so their supply, um, this is, this is what we call a trauma bond. Their supply feeds their ego. Their supply, you know, keeps them happy and it becomes emotional, emotional labor okay. for the supply because, you know, I couldn't go places without him. I couldn't, it, like everything about our relationship basically was around his needs. And I was always supplying that. So when I take that way, you know, I call my power back and I take that away and I walk away. Um, I very much have faced punishment ever since. For sure. So I was forced into this situation where I had to go find somewhere to live. And up until this point, you know, I had been 10 years in a marriage where I was supported financially. So when I'm leaving this situation, I have no income of my own. Right. Um, I have a, you know, a small like side hustle photography business, but my, my income from that had been about $14,000 a year. Right. So I'm, I'm leaving the situation where I have no income of my own. I have no credit of my own. I have no credit history, you know, like, and so I am just trying to figure things out step by step. So, um, what ended up happening was I moved in with, a friend who she had bought a house and I moved in upstairs in this apartment that she owned, um, but it had been previously condemned. Okay. Now in between the time that I was leaving and the time that I was moving into this new place, um, I encountered a very dangerous situation where I was violently assaulted. Um, it happened at the hands of a man that I had only just met that day. Right. I had a friend with me and I, I had gone to see him, you know, voluntarily. Right. Um, didn't really have romantic interest in him. Um, it's not that he was a bad looking guy or anything like that. It was just, I, my life was falling apart. I was leaving my marriage. And right. so I, I had gone for, you know, a particular reason to, to see this guy. And I brought a friend with me and I said to her, I don't, really feel safe with this guy. Like, I don't know him. Um, would you come with me? And so she did. But unfortunately at, you know, while we, while we were with this guy, we both read this guy as a seemingly safe person. Right. And she nudged me and she said, I'm going to go wait in the car. And I think her, I think her reasoning behind that was like, Jade's leaving her marriage and she needs a little bit of fun. This guy's younger and he, okay. you know, it could be, it could be fun, you know? Right. And I think her and I both at that point thought that the most that would happen would be that he would, you know, maybe try to kiss me or something. Right. Um, but she wasn't out of sight for 15 seconds and he had me by the throat. It was a very, it was a violent assault. Um, and so I was still living with my husband right. when this happened and I came home that night after it happened. And I, I was still sleeping in bed next to my husband. And I think I had this moment with myself where I realized I can't tell my husband what happened. Which you should be able to tell your husband I should anything. Have, I should have been able to, yes. But at that point, he was already involved with somebody else. Right. He already had um, actually a couple of girls on the go at that point. So, um 
So I had this moment with myself where I realized if I tell him this, A, he's not going to believe me. Probably not. He's going to blame me for going to see this guy in the first place. Right. Even though my intention was not to have any kind of anything with this guy. And I took somebody with me to buffer that, you right. know. Um, and I also realized that I would never heal from what had just happened to me. So I was still kind of wrestling with this in my head. Um, and it wasn't until the next day that this person who assaulted me actually called me. And I will never forget the words that he said. He said, I should not have done that. That was not very good. And right. I, I remember saying to him, I'm 31 years old. I can deal with what just happened to me. And I really thought that I could. I right. really thought I was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also said, you know, some 19-year-old girl is going to put you in jail. Like, if you do this to a younger girl, she's going to put you in jail. Right. And so I just tried to handle it. At that point, I really didn't... I had no idea what kind of impact that could have on your life. And, and with I. With the flashbacks and the trauma. With, like, yeah, repeating I, itself. Yeah, exactly. And so I was at this kind of crucial point where at that point, if I had decided to go to police right away, I don't think that I would have gotten anywhere with it. I, it's a very difficult thing to go to police in the first place. Um, and, Absolutely. and a lot of times when you do, you're not met with the right officer. And if you don't, right. if you don't have the right support in going through with, you know, pressing charges and stuff, it's actually just much more traumatic. Um, so I held back and I told myself, you know what, Jade, you can handle this. It's no big deal. Like you, you know, it happened once, but you're going to be fine. Right. What I didn't realize was that he was, um, he very much knew he was guilty. He very much knew. And so he then became very invested in trying to help me leave my, my husband. Okay. And so I was moving into this new, uh, place that needed a lot of renovations and everything. Um, and he was a person who knew he could help with those renovations. Right. And so he kept offering to help and kept showing up and, and, and trying to be around me. And at that point, I was lying to myself. I was saying like, I, you know, he's, he's just trying to help me. He's just trying to help me. Now, now I recognize that he was trying to isolate me and he was trying to stay near me to make sure that I didn't tell anybody. Right. Plus, you really needed the help at the time. I very much needed the help. My ex completely tapped out. He knew that I was facing um, having to do some renovations and everything to try and make this place livable, suit- <laughs> livable suitable for my children. Um, but he had he was not going to help. You know, he right. he, di- he did actually um, install a toilet <laughs> for me. Um, I wasn't there, but my my landlord, the girl who was living below me, said she could hear him swearing <laughs> and everything. And, right. You know, so, you know, I'll give him that credit. He installed a toilet. Um, but he, for the most part, was not interested in helping me leave him. Right. And I wasn't being honest with him about what had happened. So there was a lot of things left unsaid in that situation. And he, like I said, he already had two new women on the go. And he's now in a relationship with one of those women right. and, and has been for three years. So over the course of the next three months, um, I felt very much like I was a hostage in this situation. Um, so it took me a while to kind of escape that situation with this guy wanting to make sure that he was around me a lot and everything. Um, and I very much went into people-pleasing mode. This is something that a lot of people don't understand is um, when you are faced with a trauma like that and you feel like you're 
life is potentially in danger and your loved ones are potentially in danger. And like, I really didn't know what to expect from this man. He told me a lot of stories. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say exactly the right. things, the things that he would say, but it was very obvious that he was dangerous. And it was very obvious that if I didn't play my cards exactly right, I could be in danger and my children could be in danger. And so the way that I survived that situation was by doing whatever he wanted me to do. Right. And that lasted um, about three months. And eventually I found a way to just basically get rid of him. And he started leaving me alone. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but over the next year... I repressed what happened completely. I didn't deal with any of it. I thought, okay, he's gone. It's over with. I'm fine now. Right. We do that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And what I, what I have since learned is that it's actually, um, for most victims, it takes about a year for you to even acknowledge what happened. Right. That's a, that's a pretty standard mm -hmm. timeline. <laughs> so it was about a year later when I was in a store one day and just out of the corner of my eye, I saw him. And I don't, I don't actually think he saw me. Okay. Um, but I saw him. And so I immediately was very triggered and I went into a flashback. Um, and that day I was, you know, I faced so many struggles as a single mother. I didn't have access to laundry services. So I was going to the laundromat and everything. Right. Um, and that particular day, one of my friends had given, given me the keys to his apartment and said, go do laundry at my place. Save yourself some money. Okay. So I went home and I started just screaming and crying and throwing punches into my laundry basket and not understanding even what was wrong with me. Right. I knew that I had, I had, I was upset that I had seen him, but I had no idea what was actually happening to me at that point. So I went to my friend's house and I did my laundry and completely barreled over his boundaries and cleaned his entire place. I cleaned his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't stop moving. I was triggered. I was, and you know, that later that day, he said to me, um, Jade, <laughs> you crossed the line by cleaning my bedroom. Okay. Right. And I mean, I was humiliated that I had even done that. I, I knew it wasn't normal behavior, but I didn't know what was happening to me. And so a few days went by and, um, my landlord, the girl that I was living with and everything, she lived downstairs. Um, she hugged me and she said, I'm putting a boundary in place with you, Jade. She drew the line and said, you, you have to go to mental health. And I knew she was right. Uh, at that point I was dropping weight. It had only been about four days, I think. And I was just dropping weight. Like I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think. So I did go to the ER. Um, and that's where they basically told me like, he's, you know, he couldn't diagnose me with PTSD, but I told him what had happened. And he said, it sounds like you're having a flashback. Right. Um, and so he prescribed me antidepressants and he said, and I, I, I very much disclosed to him, like, I really don't want to have to resort to antidepressants. And uh, he said, well, give it two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, if your symptoms aren't better, then please fill this prescription and consider taking it. Right. So at the end of two mm -hmm. weeks, it was my worst day yet. And by that point, I had dropped 14 pounds. And I noticed that it seemed like my hair was falling out and every, like my jaw was sore from grinding my teeth and everything. And I was just in a hyper triggered state and I couldn't get out of it. So I go to the pharmacy um, and I get this prescription filled. And she says, just so you know, it's going to be about six weeks before these start to work. Right. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
And I just stood there in shock. And I said to myself, if this gets worse, I'm probably going to commit suicide. Like I knew I was at that point that I just can't take this anymore. And, you know, on top of the fact that I was having a severe flashback, I was also just dealing with the regular stressors of a very nasty divorce, very nasty. And all of the struggles that I faced as a low income single mother. Right. And I mean, I don't even have time to touch on how severe those can be and, and the severe severity of the situation that I was in. And nobody knows unless they're going through it themselves. Like you can kind of look at somebody's situation and say, oh my God, how are they doing it? But unless you're going through the stages yourself of being a low-income mother or trying to get out of a divorce and, you know, like trying to pick up the pieces, like people just can't really understand unless they're going through it or have gone through similar things. And that's been my biggest lesson. Like a lot of people just really don't understand or have enough compassion for what we may be going through and just kind of look at the outside and kind of judge us, which I don't feel is what people should be doing these days. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's very much, you know, what I had on my shoulders at that time. So I fill this prescription and the pharmacist tells me this. And in that moment, I had a sense of peace wash over me and I don't know where it came from, but it just, I just knew intuitively there has got to be a better way. Right. And at that point, I didn't know what the better way was. I said, I will exercise my way out of this. I will something. There has to be a better way. I'll eat healthier. I'll do whatever I can right. do. So I went out to my car and I used my phone to Google best treatment for PTSD because by that point I didn't have an official diagnosis, but I did not, like there was, there's nothing else that this could be. This right. is PTSD. I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. So, so when I did that, one of the results that popped up was psilocybin mushrooms, which is magic mushrooms. Right. And I have never been into any type of drug. So right. immediately I was like, oh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> you know, I doubled, I, I questioned it. But I thought, to, actually, I, I ended up calling my sister that day and I, and I told her that that was what I found. And she laughed and she said, yeah, Jade, I, like, it's, it's legit. It's real. And this is, that's actually how she, um, overcame an addiction is okay. that she had turned to psychedelics, um, to overcome an addiction with a much harder drug. Okay. Um, and so when she explained that to me, I was like, why didn't you tell me this? And she's like, I did. You judged me for it <laughs> because, right. because I didn't have an understanding of psychedelics. Um, I didn't know how they worked and everything. So I made the decision, okay, I'm going to try magic mushrooms. And I was very, very careful about it. I ordered these capsules that I found online um, and I, from a website that a friend had recommended. Um, and I took a very small amount. I think I took 300 milligrams. And... The day that I took the dose, I did, I did notice that I felt a little bit better, but it wasn't a shocking right. amount. But the next day I got in the shower and I was dancing mm-hmm. in the shower, washing my hair, singing along to this song when I stopped myself and I, I was just in absolute shock. And I went, Oh my, I wanted to die yesterday. Right. Just yesterday I wanted like, what is happening? And so I realized I was like, this was incredibly powerful. And so I started digging further and further into healing with psilocybin and everything. And thank God that I did because I managed to overcome so much more since then. So what ended up happening was that my landlord at that point, things went very, very sour with us. And we had been friends 
Um, and there was no lease agreement in place or anything right. like that. So around the same time, she met a new boyfriend and he had experience as a landlord and everything. And he instantly recognized me as somebody who would not let her walk into a an abusive relationship. Right. And I instantly recognized, well, I won't say instantly, but it didn't take me long to recognize that he had it out for me and he was going to lie, cheat and steal his way into into making sure I was out of the picture. So in no time, he convinced her to double the rent. So she tried to double the rent. I had to go to the um, tenancy board. She couldn't get away with it. It made things so much more sour between us. Right. Um, and eventually I got hit with uh, an eviction notice stating that I had harassed her and all this. And I, I will, you know throw myself on a blade to prove that I most certainly did not harass her or right. anything. But it, it became a situation that was so unhealthy for me to be in because my somebody that I considered my best friend at that point was right. evicting me. And, and to be in a situation where I'm being evicted, I knew that I faced losing access to my children right. because we were in a housing crisis. It was extremely difficult for me to find anywhere to go. And so, like, I really, there was just the most traumatic time in my life, and nobody has ever hurt me more than to have my best friend put me in a situation where I could lose access to my children. Right. Not because I'm a bad mother, but because I am facing so many struggles and over, just forced to have to overcome so many things. Right. So I got myself, uh, well, I reached out to a friend and I told her what was happening and she gave me the keys to this little cottage on the beach that was owned by her father and the father's brother. I did not have permission to be there. I was a straight up squatter okay. <laughs> and I was, I was found there. Okay. And so it became a highly stressful situation. I, I spent six weeks there, wasn't supposed to be there, um, People were not happy that I was there, but I couldn't go back to this apartment where I was being evicted from. Right. Because that was an incredibly traumatic situation for me too. So I'm hiding out in this cottage and everything. I get caught there. The One of the owners is so unhappy that I'm there that he's yelling at me. I literally pee my pants in front of this man. I'm so scared of him. Right. Um, but miraculously, I found another place to go. It was this big old farmhouse, um, and it was going to cost me $1,500 a month, plus I had to pay all the utilities and everything. And I just said to myself, I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm going to pull it off. Right. And so at that point, my ex hadn't paid child support or alimony for over six months, so I... I, like I was battling homelessness at this point, you know, I'm, I'm a squatter in this place. I'm not supposed to be here and everything. And I, the court issues, like the divorce stuff was not wrapping up fast enough. So I basically, I signed under duress. I signed clear of my divorce under duress. Okay. I got $20,000, which was, you know, it, it helped. It was a little nest egg to help get me into this new place and everything. Okay. So I, I knew, I knew that $20,000 wasn't going to last me long though. And I also am facing this situation where I have to travel my kids to school from town and everything. So it's really put me in a difficult position in terms of work. I, I, I basically only was qualified to get minimum wage jobs. Right. So I did have two jobs at one time. Um, I was working at a pizza place and a coffee shop and everything. Um, but 
the, the fact that I have to travel my children to and from school cuts into any possible work day and everything. So I'm facing this situation where I'm, it's so difficult for me to even get a job. Um, and that's when my sister mentioned, well, maybe you could try OnlyFans. Right. And I, like I said, I was raised religiously. So I immediately, like, I called her crazy. I was like, I'm never going to do that. No, 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 no. Right. But then I started to look into it and I started to realize the financial opportunity that was there for me because I, like I said, I had a photography business. I was trained with boudoir photography and everything. Right. Um, I had been marketing my photography business online for years at that point. Um, so I had, I already had a strong social media presence and I already had the skills to be able to take these photos and everything. So the more that I thought about it, the more I realized that turning to OnlyFans solved every last one of my problems. Right. And that if I could pull it off and if I could earn enough money to keep myself afloat by doing this, it would put me in a situation where I never had to be vulnerable to whether or not my ex was ever going to play child support again. Right. He couldn't hurt me by withholding it anymore. So I, I decided to do it. And so I spent the month of December 2021 preparing myself, preparing my account and everything, capturing as, as many photos and as much footage as I could so that right. I could launch into it in January. January 1st of 2022, I announced publicly in, right. a, in a small town <laughs> that I was going to be doing OnlyFans. And I think by the by the end of the first day or two, I had like 80 subscribers. Wow. Um, which, you know, that's comes with its own level of, of ick in a way because these were local people. So my, <laughs> my town, like the, the town that I'm in, like everybody's seen me naked at this point. <laughs> like I mean, I'm probably more hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't seen me naked. But right. by the 20th of that month, see, I had set myself up with a social media, um, strategy too. And I leveraged TikTok to be able to do this and everything. So. I turned to TikTok and I put a TikTok out there saying like, this is what I faced and this is my goal. I really want to be able to buy myself a house so that I never have to worry about, you know, right. homelessness again or anything like that. And that video ended up going viral. And by January 20th, I had 260 subscribers. Nice. So um, I made about $10,000 my first month. And that's when I was able to relax just a little bit because I still had, you know, that alimony kind of nest egg and everything. Right. And then I had some some really good earnings from OnlyFans and everything, and I thought, okay, I can, I can just relax for a bit. Did anybody shame you for doing OnlyFans? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, and what do you have to say to those people now? Because I mean, as a mom, you do what you have to do to survive. I don't yeah. care who you are, but I mean, I see nothing wrong with what you're doing. Well, you know, I think a lot of people shame me because they don't. First of all, they're triggered by it because they have not unpacked all the reasons that they don't feel comfortable and doing it. And maybe they were raised religious. <laughs> exactly. There's so many factors that go into why somebody would judge me for doing this in the first place. But to those people, like I just basically, I, I don't even give them any airtime. I don't let them share their opinions with me. Right. And, and actually just a couple of days ago, I had somebody send me a nasty message about it. And I was just like, Thanks for sharing your feelings, block. <laughs> I don't care. I don't Thanks for noticing. Enjoy the view. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the things I had to realize is that 
nobody's opinion of me is worth more than my relationship with my children. Right. And my relationship with my children, my role as a mother was being threatened. If I wasn't able to keep a, a roof over my children's heads, then I would have to face moving to Ontario with my parents because right. I don't have a support system here. My support system was my ex-husband and his family. And the minute I left, I lost that support system. Right. Nobody has tried to be any type of support to me since. And I've been, I've been vilified too, you know, like they didn't understand that I was assaulted right from the get go. Cause like I said, right. I, I didn't tell anybody for the first three months. Um, so. It, it became a very unhealthy situation. And to this day that, you know, it's not a good situation. So at the end of the day, I just realized like nobody's, nobody's opinion of me is worth more to me than my relationship with my children. And my role as a mother is to protect my children. And if I let myself be forced out of their lives because right. of these circumstances, then I'm failing as a mother. And so, you know, it was not an easy decision for me. My son at the time when I made this decision was 13. Okay. And I went public. So I very much knew that my son was going to face children at school saying nasty things right. and everything. And that was easy. Like that was the hardest part of the decision of deciding to do this. But I also knew how powerful of a move that it was. Right. And so I had to sit down with my son and I had to say like this, this is, you know, not easy of me to ask you to do this. Right. But I am asking you to do your best to overcome the feelings of shame that you might have about your mother doing this and right. overcome the feelings of embarrassment and everything. And I got to say, this kid is amazing. Um, my daughter, she, she knows that I do it too. And she's only 10. And of course, there's, right. you know, people will question as to why I tell them that I do this. But it was to protect them because somebody else would have told them if exactly, you didn't. So you may as well be exactly. honest. And it's like uh, a lot of people who live in cities don't understand like what, right. it, what it's like to be in a small town. But I promise you, somebody would have told my children. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, I told them first in an attempt to protect them. And like I said, my 14 year old son has been just incredible in, in trying to process this. Um, and he's really only had one episode at school where anybody said anything to him and he did get upset, but he quickly realized that if he shows vulnerability, right. if he shows that, yes, you can upset me by making fun of me about this, then they would continue. So he quickly kind of hardened to that. And he was like, like now, if anybody were to say anything, his mom, he would just say, yeah, well, my mom's going to take me to Disney World with that money. So exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, he, he has a, and he, he's so intelligent too. He's such a good kid. But at the end of the day, what this led to for me is that it was such a powerful move for me that I realized like, okay, my strategy worked and it worked really, really well. Right. So what if I bundle this strategy and sell it as an e-course that can help other women? And so um, just this past summer in August, I decided that's what I'm going to do. And so I managed to do it again. I decided, okay, I'm going to aim for a viral TikTok about this. There you go. Um, so I put it out there. Sure enough, I actually ended up with um, two viral TikToks about it. So by the time I launched my e-course, I had over 10,000 women signed up for my, wow. e for my email list. So, um, I was, I've been able to sell this e-course, um, about probably 250 times now. So, and so like roughly how much would you sell it for? 
like this course? Um, so right now I'm kind of in a transitional place. So originally I bundled everything for, it was about $250 Canadian because okay. it's a very full e-course. So um, it covers everything from getting your account started to how to take the best photos and everything and how right. to market yourself. So it's like, it's an eight module e-course um, right now. Okay. Um, however, I am rebranding because through this viral TikTok and through this coaching that I've started and everything, in mid-September, I had a man reach out to me and he said, I think you're exactly what I need for my company. He says, okay. So immediately I thought that this was a scam because the man who reached out to me, his name is James Bond. Okay. <laughs> and immediately I was like, no way, right? Right. Um, so I, I definitely questioned it right from the start, but I, he got me on the phone and he pitched me his business, which is, it's a social media platform that functions quite similar to OnlyFans, but he's okay. taken kind of all of the issues that he's heard about OnlyFans and he's fixed them. Okay. Um, and he's integrated the metaverse into this. And just this platform is just kind of like, I really expect it's going to blow up because it's blown my mind. Okay. But he's positioned me. He has such a an interesting and inspiring story himself. And I feel like he connected with my story in a way because he's positioned me in a, in a place where I now get to help other people earn in a much more powerful way than just the e-course. Um, he's connected me with amazing people who can help me improve my e-course. So I'm in the middle of rebranding this okay, thing now. Sounds good. So I'm actually hoping to make it uh, more affordable, um, and to, and to reach more people. Right. Because, uh, you know, I had to, I had to price it in a way that was going to help me survive and thrive in, from the get go. Um, but now that, you know, he's empowered me so much in so many different ways, I'm going to be able to make it more affordable and there's going to be even better information in this because I'm now working with agencies and everything else that, that can help, you know, provide a lot more information about social media strategies right. and everything. So, um, so this company is almost ready to launch. We're just trying to make sure that all of the bugs are out of the platform and everything, but it's called okay. lemonsocial.com. Um, and so it is very similar to OnlyFans? It is. Um, so one of the reasons we went with Lemon Social for the name is because we wanted to open this up to more than just adult content. And OnlyFans is open to more than just adult content as well, um, but it very quickly got taken over by adult content. And, and so the association with OnlyFans only fans or any kind of like fansly fan time. Those are all different fan pages. We wanted it to, to function very similar because there's, those are very powerful ways to earn for social media influencers and whatnot. But we wanted to keep it open to so many other opportunities. And that's why we chose something like Lemon Social for the name. Okay. Um, because we didn't want to just hyper-focus on adult content, even though it is allowed on the platform. So. so what other content will it have other than adult content? Like what would be an example <clears throat> of something else? So for instance, maybe somebody, let's say a life coach or something who might want to use the platform. There's going to be several photographers already on the platform. Okay. So what, what you can do with the platform, um, you can set a subscription price. So for anybody to access your profile on there, they would have to pay like say $9.99 a month. Okay. Well, once they get in there, there's content provided for that $9.99 price. Okay. But you can also lock more content. You can, you can put like pay-per-view content. Um, so your subscribers, they can 
also decide if they want to make additional purchases or not, right? Okay. Um, but by connecting to the metaverse, we've opened up this entirely new world of ways that people can earn. So the metaverse is still a very new kind of thing, I guess. But the more that I've explored it, the more that I realize, like, holy cow, this is game-changing. Okay. So we are right now with the invention of... Um, AI, like the AI technology starting to take over and everything. And with cryptocurrency, that's another thing Lemon Social offers is that they have their own crypto token. So mm-hmm. the people can, can earn through crypto with less of a risk of, of getting involved in like an actual crypto coin. That's kind of a hard thing to explain over a podcast. But, right. No, that's um, fine. But yeah, so, you know, just connecting creators to the metaverse and all of these crazy different opportunities and everything. Um, and something that I think the platform would be really good for is just any, anybody who has any kind of digital product that they can sell online. So the platform can very much compete with things like Etsy. Um, okay. any, any, anybody who has any kind of digital product to sell is, right. could benefit from this. Well, we will definitely have to check out Lemon Social when it launches. Do you do you have like a rough idea of when or? Uh, well, we're very close is all I can tell you. Okay. I mean, we, we've been hoping, we were hoping back in October to get it launched. Um, but uh, Mr. CEO is a very particular man okay. <laughs> and he wants it to be perfect and I don't blame him. So, you know, we could be looking January, February and before it actually gets launched and we may do some soft launches and stuff before we open to the whole world type okay. thing. Um, but it's, it's shaping up to be something really powerful. So I'm excited. So will you still be on OnlyFans or will you totally move to Lemon Social? Um, I, eventually I'd like to totally move to Lemon Social because I am, I am a part of the Lemon Social team, meaning, um, I'm a, I'm a, have a working partnership with this okay. company. So I, I represent this company in a lot of ways. Um, so, they they would never take my OnlyFans income away from me, but I I likely won't be advertising that at all anymore. So okay. I, I expect it to just kind of drop off and and kind of disappear on its own. And hopefully I'll be able to move all of my subscribers over to Lemon Social because it's such a nice platform. It like functions so smooth and you know just so many benefits to being over there that I really think that you'll see a lot of a lot of people move over there. Okay, that sounds awesome. Well, that's great. Um, one thing I want to touch on is I know you say you were raised religious, but you're not religious now. So I want to know what are you now? Are you spiritual? And in which ways are you spiritual? I would call myself very spiritual and very witchy. <laughs> so I guess, um, I've been, I've been on a long journey with this because I, when I decided I was no longer Christian, I was about 21 years old. And I had this moment with myself. I, I just remember thinking, where's God now <laughs> when I needed him? Right. And, and, and just none of it was making sense to me. And so I, I had this moment where I went, you know what? I, I think maybe I'm atheist. Maybe okay. I just don't believe in anything. And so I went through this little atheist phase and everything. And then I eventually called myself agnostic. And I said, you know, I just don't have the answers. I don't have a clue. A lot of us don't. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, why why do I think as a human that I am even able to figure this out, you know? Um, 
And I, you know, I take a lot of issue with the Bible and I very much believe that there's no version of reality where the Bible hasn't been tampered with by man. Probably. (laughs) I believe it was very much a very good message at one point and that that message has been hijacked. Yeah. So eventually, um, I think it was basically the turning point of when I became very spiritual was when I found the magic mushrooms and you will have a lot of people who get involved in psychedelic therapy very much identify with that spiritual journey. Right. Um, and so it was, it was around that time that I started to kind of label myself as more spiritual. Um, and that's, that's also a product of trauma too. When you hit a certain point with your trauma and you need something to believe in, you will will very much look for the answers. When I found the more spiritual avenue, I think a lot of what kind of helped me find where I'm, because I'm very much happy with my spiritual journey now. Right. Um, But it was actually the TikTok app that kind of educated me so much about the healing journey. Um, and so using psilocybin for the healing journey and everything and, and being able to look back at the different places in my life when I've overcome certain things, it, the spiritual healing journey almost follows like a map. Right. And when I look back, I'm like, yeah, I went through that phase. And so right now I, I call it, um, my inner teenager phase, because I've very much gone through the inner child healing. Okay. I've very much addressed all of those traumas in, in childhood and everything. Um, and now I would call myself at the inner teenager stage, um, and, and hopefully coming out of that soon, because the, right. inner, the inner teenager stage, if you know anything about that, the inner teenager is very angry. Right. <laughs> and, and I have been very, very angry at times, and I'm, I'm overcoming that and everything. But now I'm very much at a place where I have finally healed so many of my traumas and I my heart is so much lighter and freer and I and you love yourself more because I find that's where it once you start loving yourself that's where it just kind of opens up to loving mother earth and the sun and the stars and the moon Mm -hmm. and just being grounded and being your true authentic self yeah yeah and very much like I have so much patience with myself now. So when I do experience, because I still do have flashbacks. And, right, and you always will. And I, Yeah, exactly. I'll always have those triggers and everything, but I have so much more patience with myself and I have so much grace. And and I just, I, I know that spirituality is right for me because right. I am so much more grounded and happy and balanced now than I ever was before I denied the possibility of any of this. And one of the things that, you know, people, people are shocked by is like my manifestation practice. Right. Um, I can manifest stuff so fast now. And I truly believe that my role with Lemon Social and I just found an amazing new place to live and everything. I truly believe those are manifestations. And, you know, even, even this guy who walks into my life and offers me this amazing career opportunity, I've learned so much from him already in just, you know, a few short months of knowing him. And I'm like, this, this is a person who was meant to come into my life. I truly right. believe that. And had I not connected with my spiritual journey, I wouldn't even attach those same, that same significance to people coming in and out of my life. Right. And so I wouldn't have that guiding light of just believing that something is, is leading me through this life. So. Right. I 100% believe in manifestation and what you put out to the universe, you receive back. So, I mean, if you're having a bad day, turning around that bad day and just seeing how it changes everything is so powerful. 
And there's so many ways you can change a bad thought or a bad day and make it better. And yeah, I've, I've tried to teach a few people about manifestation and they think I'm crazy, but I'm like, you just got to try it because it is just so powerful. Yeah. And you know what? Science is finally catching up to this too. They, they don't, you know, it's hard to explain to people who just aren't interested in hearing it. You know, a lot of people can be very committed to misunderstanding you. Oh, yeah. um, But science is very much catching up to this. You know, if you've ever heard anything about string theory and how science explains that, you know, time is time is an illusion. Time, we all we really have is the present moment and everything. And also, the magic mushrooms have very much helped me to kind of gain control of my nervous system. And what people don't realize when it comes to manifestation one of the most powerful ways to call your manifestation in is to energetically align with the energy of already having it. Right. And so some of the ways that I've manifested things is I will put my earphones in and I will listen to a guided meditation and I will focus on trying to feel in my body the excitement of what it would feel like to have a new beautiful house to live in. Right. Or the excitement of what it would feel like to have the man of my dreams or the excitement of what it feels like to win the lottery. You know, I haven't won the right. lottery yet, but maybe I will. <laughs> you know, maybe if I do this enough times, maybe I will, or maybe that's not meant for me too. But right. manifestation is, is something that has given me the power to realize that my life really is in my own hands. It is. And I really don't, you know, I've healed so much of those patterns that led to abusive relationships and everything. I, and I never have to face that again because of my spiritual journey and because of my manifestation beliefs. Right. And I think we're always going to heal our entire life, but we've overcome so many, so many mountains to get to where we are that it definitely improves and, um, and we have to heal less. But I think we'll always have to, you know, pay attention to our healing journey and spiritual journey and, accept it for what it is and and go with it. Thanks for coming in, Jade. And I can't wait to actually talk to you in the future and see what the future holds for you. Just one last little tidbit. What would be advice for yourself 10 years from now? Like, what do you want to tell yourself? <laughs> Hopefully we made it, babe. <laughs> we did it. We're millionaires. <laughs> um, no, but I think what I would have to tell myself is just continue to be patient with yourself because Life is so full of hiccups and bumps in the road. And life is not designed to be easy. It's not supposed to. We are here to learn the lessons. Every day. Every day. Um, And the sooner you can get out of your own way, the sooner you can drop your expectations about what life is supposed to be, the sooner you can ease into the beauty of what life actually is, which is just a constant learning journey. It is. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in and we will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me.